0: I'm Steve Backshall and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show.
1: Welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. I'm here, of course, with Steve. G'day. And we're very lucky to have with us today, John Gisham. Hello, John. Yeah, john you're president of birds sa you're an avid bird watcher you love birds you've been working with birds for a long time amongst other things i mean i've known you for many years and uh, you do a lot more than just birds but we're here today to have a bit of a chat about birds and hopefully you can answer some questions for us we have for you sure no delighted to great now i I love bird watching i think it's fantastic and I'm very lucky because my eyes work well. Tamara, my partner, not so much. She, she can barely make out a street sign. Um, is bird watching difficult? You've obviously got to have good eyes for it, or is there ways around this?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it helps to have good eyesight, but not all birders. I call them birders more so than bird watchers, because if you use the word birding or birders, it's actually all inclusive, because it includes people who can hear. Because you can hear birds. So if you call yourself a bird watcher and you're just hearing birds, if you're blind, for example, you can be a birder. Because you're hearing Ah. birds. So if you use the word birder, or I'm going birding, it covers everybody, whether they're blind, got sight problems or hearing problems. So sometimes it's good to go birding with somebody who's really good at seeing birds and somebody who's really good at hearing birds <laughs> and you've got all bases covered. So uh but yeah, generally for bird bird watching, you know, you need to have reasonably good long sight. Uh, but that's where binoculars come into it. Now you can use binoculars to see the detail of birds a lot better than just with the naked eye. So I'm being sensist. Yeah, you
1: are. I'm being very sensist. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable, idea. Yeah, I know. Straight off the bat, how dare you? So when you talk about <laughs> when you talk about bird calls, it's a con- controversial one, but you can play birds calls to the birds, and that can be a way of getting the birds in closer for people to look yeah, at.
0: Yeah, you can. I mean, it's 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 very controversial area because bird calls are obviously recorded from birds from other areas. So if you go out and start playing those recordings in a new habitat. Uh, the birds that you're trying to attract will think it's an intruder into their patch and you can either stop them from breeding or if it's a male, you might actually even scare it off from their habitat, from their patch. So uh, we generally sort of recommend that you don't use it. Uh, Some researchers use them and if you do use them, just very, very briefly, and it's mainly just to identify the bird or just to bring the bird out so you can identify it or whatever but there's some some birders or bird watchers or bird photographers uh, will use them constantly to have the bird hanging around to get decent photographs which is really unethical Uh, because ultimately in the end you're actually going to affect that bird's behavior and uh, as i said potentially they make it vulnerable to predators because the bird's revealing itself so you know a, a larger bird could come through and take it which has happened in the past, uh, or you scare that bird off and um, leave, you know, that bird that's scared off thinks it's a, another male, dominant male coming into its area. So it could take off and actually leave the females without any male in that area at all. So, yeah, bird calls, bird call playback, as it's called, uh, is probably not really that good to do. It, a lot of those recordings are great if you're. Um, wanting to identify calls, so there for people, you, know, you just play them to yourself, or you hear you hear a call and you're not sure what it is, so you think, oh, it might be in the honey eater family, so you go through some of the honey eaters and play the calls from the from the phone apps that you can get now, and you play it to yourself, and you go, ah, that's, crest, you know, that's a crested honey eater or something. Uh, not so much for playing back to attract the birds, so I'd probably discourage people from doing that.
1: Okay, very interesting, so put the hard yards in, don't be lazy. Y- yeah. Yep.
2: I never would have. Yeah, it, I mean, I know it's ignorance. I apologise for that, but never would have looked at it like that. Yeah, like just playing that song back to try and almost make make that bird play its song to us again, just
0: mm. to see if you can identify it that way. But you're right; you can.
2: Yeah, it you're has doing the wrong thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, it has some <laughs> negative uh, connotations. just same, if, you know, same if you play, you know, monkey calls or. or Wolf calls or something. If it's not from that pack and you're playing another animal, it's going to freak them out, and it's it's going to have a negative effect on that on those animals. So it's the same with birds. Uh, I mean, if you use those calls very minimally uh, for a very just a couple of seconds, it probably doesn't have much impact. But in areas where are really popular for birders to go, you know, birders might go to some spot regularly all the time. So if people going there every day playing calls. You know, you imagine the poor. Birds there, particularly the males, it's mostly males that do a lot of the main calls, uh, they just get jack of it and go. I'm out of here and gone, and you're actually ruining the habitat. So by you're loving them to death, which is not what you want to do. That is so interesting. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: <laughs> Whoa, it's interesting. So you want to encourage people to get out there and see birds, and we'll talk a bit more <coughs> about you know the positives of it, but. Um, you mentioned people getting out there i mean there are places where i've been where are hot spots for birds and there's lots of photographers so there's got to be an ethical yeah. uh, way to bird watch
0: yeah well photography's sort of been a catalyst for revival and in, in, in birding um, as digital photography's become easier and more accessible and more affordable uh, and the equipment is amazing i do a lot of bird photography myself but there's an ethics behind that as well and you've got to be responsible for for the wildlife that you're photographing uh, making sure that you don't disturb the i'll use birds as an example of course uh, you don't disturb the birds uh, going about their daily life you don't intrude in onto a bird's nest which might have young because sometimes when you reveal a nest uh, things like currawongs and ravens uh, will come down and predate on those chicks in the nest because you know, you're looking at it and they go, oh, beauty, I'll go down there after you've gone and get some tucker. So um, there's, there's ethical, ethical standards in photography, the same as there is with birding. It's exactly the same, the same ethics. Um, it's just one's capturing an image and taking it away. Another one's just you seeing it with your eyes and remembering it. So the ethics of bird, bird watching is the same as ethics of bird photography. And probably in some ways a little bit stricter because you actually hang around a lot longer photographing the birds
2: mm. so there's a whole beginner's course right there
0: well i do run courses <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, for, for bird watching and bird photography for those reasons just to teach people the right way to to approach uh, yeah. wildlife how would people get hold of you to do that like uh, i've got a website called nature connections when i run uh Bird courses, uh, bird watching courses, and bird ID courses, and introduction to bird photography, and just giving people the right start. So at least when they go out into the environment, they they have some basic understanding of what the ethics are. You know, because we've got to treat the earth with respect and the wildlife in it. You know, can't just go absolutely you know, crashing through the through the bush and being loud and obnoxious. And you know,
1: it's funny you say that because the bird watching that I've done, which is Minimal compared to yourself, of course, but you'll walk for miles and go to these, you know, real out there places to look for birds and you'll see more birds when you come back and you sit down and eat a sandwich.
0: Yes, that can, that can often happen. Uh, there's two types of birding. One is where you just walk along and you just absorb whatever's around you and that's sort of opportunistic birding. And uh, The more you know about birds, the more you understand different habitats and bird behaviour and you can actually pick up birds a lot easier and quicker than people who don't know anything about birding. But that's that's probably the most popular way is you just go hiking or walking and quietly and just absorb the sounds of the bush and the birds that you see and identify them and, and that can be very satisfying. The other way is you just sit quietly, you know. It's sort of like a it's like a meditation. You just find a nice spot in the bush, sit there, be quiet with your binoculars or whatever, and just let the birds come to you. And that's a, a really good way of birding as well. It's a good way of observing wildlife and just being mindful and present in in the environment. And uh, that's you know pretty relaxing, way because you can take your thermos of coffee and your sandwiches and just sit there and chill out and it's it's a great way of bird watching as well
1: absolutely and i've i really found that it's a great way to connect like you say and i mean it's important that we get people interested in the environment and there's a lot of great shows out there that you know teach kids about the environment and they're often pretty gung-ho you know they've got to crash like you say crash through the bush catch animals by the tail hold it up and go crikey look at this um but this is a whole nother thing and it's and it's um sadly it's often the older generation that do it but there's been a resurgence in things like uh, uh, bird birding and also there's a massive resurgence in um Meditation and mindfulness, and I think the two go hand in hand.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um, there's something that I've kind of been playing around with. I kind of got inspired by some American authors, and usually these sort of wacky ideas come from the Americans, but you know, they do have some good, good stuff come out of there. But things like Zen birding or mindful birding, uh, where it combines <clears throat> meditation or Buddhist philosophies with the art of bird watching or bush walking or just connecting with nature. And it's, it's a really good philosophy. It's about respect. It's about respect for being mindful. Um, not, you know, you see some bushwalkers and they're on a mission. You know, they're just pacing it out. That they wouldn't know what they're walking past or what they're seeing. And, and that's fine if that's what they want to do. But really, you just slow down, you know, feel the wind on your face, listen to the, the, the noises in the bush, try to identify the birds or whatever, frogs, whatever sitting quietly being mindful there's an old buddhist saying saying sit quietly and the grass will grow by itself and sometimes you just got to do that <laughs> and um it's it's really really important so i kind of like you know zen of birding which is just going out there not any purpose like i mean i've got nothing against scientific research because i do a lot of it myself but things like monitoring and surveying and listing ticking twitches and all that kind of stuff which i can talk about twitches in a minute if you like um that's fine but some of the best birding is when I've left my camera behind, left all my other stuff. I don't write down what I've seen. I just take my binoculars out. And I just sit there and just watch birds living their life and try and merge in with the environment. Just sit there and become sort of nothing. Sort of nothing in nature. Just absorb. Sit there and just... And it's just an incredible feeling. It's a walking meditation or a birding meditation. And I think, And it's also known as mindfulness or being present. So it's it is using some of that Buddhist type philosophy and there's nothing wrong with that. It's you know it's, you can call it spiritual birding if you want to call it that but it's just yeah it's just being present and just being part of nature. You know we're all mammals whether you like it or not as human beings but we tend to often feel that we're detached from nature. We you know you see people often when I'm out birding somewhere where it's reasonably popular you see people you know walking along with all their lycra on and their fancy sand shoes and they'll be strutting along and they've got earphones in listen to their you know listen to their phone or whatever and you think well that's great they're out trying to get fit and healthy that's fantastic and they're out walking but they're totally detached from nature completely they're not hearing birds they're not hearing noises they're not you know they're not even probably realizing winds blowing against them or just hearing the subtle sounds of nature to me that's pretty sad you know you know we're we're creatures of nature we should be connecting with nature
1: if we don't have that connection we don't have a will to protect it exactly Um, I mean I've met kids who have never gone camping and you find out their parents have never gone camping and now where does that end
0: their parents have probably never gone walking in the bush or never you know had a campfire or you you see people sometimes walking on the beach with thongs on or shoes on you think take them off fill the sand in your toes walk in the water yeah yeah
2: it just makes you a better human being i reckon it's probably one of the nicest things like since living in australia that i've done going out bushwalking with adrian and, mm. and stuff like that is just
0: amazing we're just very lucky in this country it. we yeah. do have space where yeah. you can get away from people yeah and i think you know australians we we really need to appreciate that that we we still have that ability where you don't have to go that far and you can be on your own
2: yeah I love the idea of sitting down, relaxing, meditating, watching what the animals are doing, because you'd probably learn so much about the animals and, and what they do, more than some of these scientific ways of doing things. Well, that's,
0: that's how the early them. indigenous cultures they learned about, you know, the world around them was yeah. by observation. Yeah, um, you know, they, they're learning by watching what animals come and go, birds. You know, can be seasonal. You have got migratory birds that come down from the northern parts of of the world and come down here to feed and you know they'll get to see that they're only here for over summer then they disappear and then they'll start to learn you know a whole bunch of stuff about animal behavior which then makes their life easier to know the seasons I mean they probably you know the early indigenous people create a lot of their stories too from the wildlife and nature around them mm. until science come along and, and sort of proved it all a bit dry which is great. You've got to have science. I'm a big fan of science. But sometimes it's really nice to have that little bit of a spiritual connection to you know, the wonders of, wonders of nature. I'm not a religious person, but I feel yeah. you know, quite connected to the earth in a
1: spiritual kind of way. Well, it's a good way to pass that message down through the next generation in a story because, I mean, you've tried reading scientific papers. I mean, I know when I attempt it, I'm always going to Google, and what the hell does that word mean? You know, Mm -hmm. it's not for the average punter.
0: No, they're they're pretty dry, uh, and they're meant to be. It's meant to be analytical, and it's meant to be observing a behaviour or whatever it may be, Uh, and it's purely, uh, yeah, it's very mechanical. But you need science. That's how we understand our world. But I think sometimes we need to step out of that scientific approach and also just see it for what it is and not try and assess it. Don't put labels on it. No, the bird doesn't care if it it's called a new holland honey eater it's a you know to them it's just they're just birds or they probably don't even know they're birds you know we put a name bird on them but they go about their lives and uh you know so sometimes it's just good to go out and and just don't label things just sit there and enjoy watching a you know like i'm seeing a skink at the moment just walking along you know in the sun on the on the bark and just observing what it's doing it's living its life it's looking for insects to eat And it doesn't care that it's called a skink, doesn't care that we're here, we're not harming it. It's food for birds. A magpie might come down and grab it. That's life.
1: Shh. And I should just say to the listener, we're sitting outside right now, beautiful day, sitting in dappled light. And there are lots of little skinks running around. And that's good. Um, You mentioned before about
0: twitchers. Yep. What's a twitcher? Well, Twitch is a a funny little English name that came around sort of the nineteen fifties, and uh, I know I have an English gentleman with us. Gentleman, I said polite like gentleman. Gentleman, yeah, yeah, gentleman. Yeah, gentleman. being polite to our <laughs> our, our motherland. I'm non-native. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, there was a chap apparently uh, birding in England is very competitive, and. It's the home of birding that's kind of where it all sort of started really because in the old days it was what was called shotgun ornithology. You know, before binoculars came on the scene, sort of in the 1880s, 90s, early 1910s, 20s, if you wanted to see a bird, you had to shoot it if you wanted to hold it in your hand. That's why the old saying, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. That's uh, oh where wow. that saying comes yeah. from, <laughs> if you want to identify it. So then when binoculars came along, well then it made life a lot you know, better. You didn't have to shoot the bird to to identify it or, or whatever. And over the years it become quite competitive and that's how bird watching started. And then human nature just natu- naturally yeah. is competitive and you'd have people who would then be going at, you know, trying to find every bird, in say, in England and ticking it off. So everybody's competing with each other. Who sees the most birds? And so whenever this particular person, I can't remember the person's name, saw a new bird that he hadn't seen before, he'd get a kind of a twitch going. Oh. <laughs> I'm demonstrating a twitch, by the way. Um, and so it, this person was called the twitcher, and that kind of became a catchphrase for people who get excited seeing rare birds or listing birds and it become that sort of thing. And it's sort of become a, in America they're called tickers, but uh, it becomes a phenomenon where the birders are quite good birders, technically good birders, but they're obsessed with seeing new species. So it sort of takes away what i was just been talking about, connecting with nature. To them it's now a sport. And they've become obsessed by it. And it's it's fine. I mean, you know, if that's what you're into. It's a bit like train spotting, if you want to call it, you know, like that. And But they have made themselves a bit unpopular in parts of England where if a rare bird suddenly washes up on the beach and is exhausted from migrating and it's standing there on the beach at Brighton somewhere, it goes, I'm in the wrong country. <laughs> and, and then the Twitchers find out next month there's 500 Twitchers down on the beach with <laughs> scopes, <laughs> cameras, and trying to tick it off, and the poor bird's exhausted. So, and that can happen where you know they end up going onto somebody's property without permission and you know that's where the ethics of birding comes in and made themselves a bit unpopular so that's what a twitcher is it's a person who's fanatical about ticking off rare birds getting excited
1: and it's a sport more or less I can i can see how it could be fun um, i mean, it can be a lot of fun i it's not my style but it's not my style i love seeing a new species Absolutely, though, so i totally get it i was in queensland about 15 years ago and we were on bribe island and there was Birders everywhere, and they were coming out. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? We didn't know until we'd learned from these birders that a laughing gull. Yes. A South, uh, South American bird?
0: Uh, Laughing gull, yeah, it comes from the Northern Hemisphere somewhere there. I'm not exactly... Okay. I've heard of it. I'm not, I think it goes down from the uh, North America to South America. I'm not 100% sure. Of that. Okay. I have heard of a laughing gull, but that would create a huge stir in Australia because right. it's not a native bird to Australia. Yeah,
1: it's like a... Vague, they're called vagrant, vagrant birds. Yeah. There's yeah. probably only half a dozen in recorded history that we... Yeah, you know, so that would get the twitches really twitching. That got them going. And you look it up in a book and there's like... Um, there's a lot of those gulls that look like that. Yep. And it was just one of those goals that looked like that. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah it's just got a bit. Of, it's got a bit of black somewhere else where there it's it different to a silver goal. And <laughs> Have it's you probably, seen it? It's probably not, not it? a lot of difference, but to a twitcher, it's it's very exciting because that might be their only chance in their life they'll get to see that bird unless they go to um, to that country where that bird is normally. Uh, seen, For example, uh, recently at Tolderoll Wetland, which is down near Lake Alexandrina, uh, there's a whole bunch of waders have been coming there. And there was a bird there called an oriental coal, which is not normally seen in the southern parts of Australia. You might see it at the top end of Australia, around Darwin, through Asia, quite common in Asia. Sometimes they can be seen in like 20, 30, 40, 50,000 of them at, at the top of Broome. But in South Australia, you don't see them. They don't come down this far. And two had rolled up at Roll, Caused a huge uh, excitement for the twitchers and other uh, bird photographers and stuff. So they're all down there, you know, driving around trying to find this bird and amongst thousands of other waders. And I did, I did go there. I did see the bird. I did photograph. It was exciting. Um, I'm not a twitcher, but, you know, it is nice seeing uh, new birds. But, you know, you've got to keep it in perspective.
2: What, what would drive that bird down to that Uh oh, sometimes they usually. get
0: caught up in uh, storms. Yep, um, uh, and they get sort of blown down, or they they fly in with a, a bad mob. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> they, yeah, they get caught Kidnapped. up. Kidnapped. Yeah, when they get caught up with some curly sandpipers or sharp-tailed sandpipers, they fly in. They you know they get blown, off course, uh, and they to see this big mob. They join them the next minute. You know they rock up. So when they're standing around going, this is not our normal habitat. It's a bit cold down here. And they'll hang around for the season because most migratory birds have to put on about 30% of their weight before they go back up north again. So they'll hang around, f- feed, and then come sort of the end of March, April, they'll fly back to where they come from. So they, that they from. would still find out how to get back to where yeah, they come from. That's yeah, yeah. That's amazing, Yeah, it? It's
1: incredible, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, how birds find their way around the planet is bizarre. And I, I can't just, really answer it here in a yeah, few minutes. Amazing.
1: A lot of them use
0: the sun, the moon, stars, landscape. Um, yeah place you know aerial landscaping where they follow coastlines um some of them you know it's uh, magnetic forces there's all sorts of things lots of research is being done to it but the birds are really clever you mm. know but they do get blown off course now these birds may make it back to their original homes they may not they might die on the way back you know that's just life that's nature is yeah.
1: it possible that they're just here on a reconnaissance mission going, oh, no, it's still pretty bloody cold in winter. Let's not worry about it. Just spotting a I new think, area to go to. I
0: think you might be thinking too hard on that one. Aren't you? Uh, yeah, look, it's... But well done. It's still thank well done. It's good, yeah, yeah. Look, they could be. I mean, you know, birds... Uh, with climate change, birds and a lot of animal species are moving around and birds being seen in areas they've never been seen before or they're shifting their known habitat range. So it's possible some birds are doing a bit of a recce and checking things out, but I don't think they really think like that. They're usually, you know, Most wildlife are driven by food, protection and breeding. Pretty basic, fundamental stuff. Um, I don't think they think too far into the future. It's pretty well instant. They kind of live, live in the now Within yeah. the now, mm. Mm.
1: these migratory birds just going back to that. I mean, there are some that go as far north as Siberia yep. from like the south Southern yep. Australian sharp-tailed sandpipers. What, what are they called? Sharp,
0: sharp-tailed sandpipers. That
1: and that's like that's what seven eight thousand. It's about twelve thousand. Twelve
0: thousand. Wow. Yeah. They go from they breed in uh, Siberia or the top top part of Asia uh, during our winter. That's the summer up there, and they'll breed. They have their food source up there and then uh, the adults will often fly off first uh, coming into their winter, our summer they'll fly down here and then the young ones will follow so they just innately know where to
1: go wow. so, the, so the babies don't come at the same some time? Do, like some do, some
0: do, but some don't some, well, you know, uh, it will follow later and they, you kind of think, how do they know? How do
2: they have that imprint?
0: How do like do they know? You can understand flying with their parents because they're learning where to go but i mean some do but there's some that do the young ones seem to roll up after and you think i mean a lot probably get lost on the way or die but it's pretty amazing it's one of those phenomena of nature that even science is still struggling i mean they've got some answers to it but it's still, you've got to have some mysteries in nature you, you do. It's, it's all yeah. too yeah.
2: clinical you wonder i guess yeah in, in all nature it, turtles Going back to the same beach as what they, they fly
1: were. to Siberia beaches. <laughs> <think laughs> yeah, kind of. yeah, yeah, they fly turtles, <laughs> flying turtles, <laughs> ninja that. turtles, aren't they? Yeah. There we go, ninja yeah.
2: turtles. Yeah, but they go back to the same beach that they
0: hatched out on, like yeah. 20, 30 years later or whatever. Well, it's, it's like been. salmon going go to back to the river where they were spawned or something, and they've got to work the way upstream, and it's a lot of work, isn't yeah. it? Just it's incredible.
1: I, I love I love that story about the birds because when you're down at the beach looking at birds, you know, you discover oh, there's some birds and they're eating. I'm, I've seen yeah. that now. Yeah.
0: But you, you don't, don't know the their backstory. story. You know, there's about 37 species of birds that fly down from the Northern Hemisphere to Australia, to the southern parts of Australia, to oh. to feed. And then you've got birds that live within Australia that come from the northern part of Australia, for example, the Rainbow Beater, Bee Eater, which lives sort of New Guinea, the top end of Australia. Beautiful. It's part of the Kingfisher family. a stunning-looking bird. Uh, they do eat bees, by the way, uh, and other insects. But... Um, and that's a story in itself because they, they catch the bee and they beat the crap out of it on the branch until the sting goes out. Then they, ah, they eat it. So, nah, um, so anyway, the bee eater comes down during uh, our summer to breed here. And i will come down they build burrows in the ground. And seeing a bird burrowing in the ground is the weirdest thing you ever Do see. So they make a burrow? They make a burrow. These birds that look a bit like a kingfisher really colourful pretty
1: sort of pretty little birds they're gorgeous yeah
0: so they come down here to breed and they go sort of out in the mallee sort of areas where it's sandy sort of next to an old creek bed or, or soft sand and they kind of get down on there put their bill in the ground sort of on the ground like a tripod and they put their elbows of their wings on the ground then they dig a hole like a dog so you see these little feet going to the skirt oh, and oh, they'll wow. dig a, like a meter tunnel huh you know, and then make sort of an opening in the, at the bottom where they then lay their eggs and rear their three or four chicks or whatever and they do that during our summer and then they go back up to the Northern Territory, uh, New Guinea to feed and live during the rest of the year and it's just mind blowing why why they do that, it it's obviously gets too wet mm. during the uh, summer up in the uh, northern parts of Australia they come down to cool areas to breed so it kind of makes sense because it's not so stressful on the chicks but But why burrow? It's just kind of weird. It is weird. But that's the beauty of just observing wildlife or birds. Birds are intrinsically interesting because they just do weird behaviour. They're like little mini dinosaurs. And they just do this. And they've been around a long time, about 160 odd million years or something. And they just do this incredible behaviour that's just mind-blowing. And that's what I love about being a birder.
2: Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, nature.
0: Yeah, nature's phenomenal. It's one of the best things. Mm. It's the best medication you can have, I reckon. You know, if Absolutely. you're stressed, get out in nature. Yeah. Put your feet in the ground and just absorb it.
1: It's funny you call them dinosaurs because scientists call them dinosaurs, don't they? They Well, they are. They they evolved from dinosaurs
0: from feathered dinosaurs. They didn't evolve from T-Rex. People think of a T-Rex and how did it end up as a pigeon, you know? Yep. And that's a different type of dinosaur. It was there were little, from my understanding, there was little dinosaurs around that had feathers. And when the Big Bang sort of crashed out and all the big dinosaurs were wiped out, all the little feathered dinosaurs survived along, and that's when the mammals rose, these little feathered dinosaurs started to change and to the, adapt to the conditions and hence evolved, lost their teeth. And... Uh, got lighter in their bodies and evolved into birds so you know, you look at a chook a domestic chicken when you see them running for their feed and you see them you know swinging back and forth and with their feet and their head you get it's a little dinosaur you see the way they run they're they're like little absolutely the way they run yeah yeah yeah, they're dinosaurs you (laughs) look at a mallee fowl or an emu you can see just look at their legs Yep. You can see their, you know, their dinosaur ancestry and their, and their reptilian connection. You mm. look at malefowl; they lay their eggs in a big mound.
1: What else does that? Mm. Crocodiles, turtles, goannas, goannas. So they're basically a reptile. Well, they've got scales on their legs. Yeah, they're yeah. just a bipedal reptile. Where do reptiles reptile? come from? it's herhapsids. oh you're getting technical now <laughs> no, more less, so. So they
0: kind of come from dinosaurs don't they basically yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. there you go <laughs>
1: that's great that's great so we want to see more people out there bird watching how do we sex up bird watching how, how do we sex it up
0: well, sexy, <laughs> I've heard that. I heard the hipsters are into it. Is that right? Yeah, they're, they're getting a bit sick of their smashed avocado and, and they're picking up. <laughs> it's too expensive. Too now. expensive. They can't afford their houses, so they're buying binoculars. And well, they're, they're, bird
1: watching's free, isn't it? Once bird you're out watching's there? free. you got a pair of binoculars free. and a bird book. Well, you
0: don't even need binoculars, really. You can see a lot of birds with yep. your naked eye, but yep. to really appreciate them, you know, binoculars do help, obviously. And you get yourself a reasonably good pair of binoculars. You don't have to spend a fortune, but, you know, get a re- best you can afford. And get out there. So the hipsters are out there, and they think it's pretty cool. And if they think it's cool, then it's obviously cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> birding has had a bit of a rappers as being a bit of an old ladies' you know activity. I don't. It goes of, in cycles. I don't though, mean doesn't to it? be
1: an old lady. Uh, yeah. Sexist. Well, those old ladies were once cool young ladies. They as well.
0: were hipsters. Cool, really they were really like hipsters ladies. once. They were hipsters <laughs> once themselves. And uh, look, you know, birding's one of those uh, pursuits that. Uh, you don't have to be a professional ornithologist. In most of the, the best studies and knowledge on birding throughout the world over the last 200 years has been amateurs. I mean, you look at uh, Charles Darwin and Wallace, the co-founder of evolution, both of them were amateurs. So amateurs play a huge role. And most great ornithological discoveries have been done by amateurs. So, you know, those are old ladies... God, picking on the old ladies, aren't they? <laughs> the old ladies out there with binoculars many years ago—you know—they were onto something. You know, the, the early naturalists—they they knew what yeah. they were doing. But no,
1: birding is pretty cool, you know. And that's and that's contributing to science. And you, I think that's called citizen science.
0: Citizen science is the new hip phrase for for that sort of stuff, where citizens get involved in whatever. You know, that's the scientific side of it. You know, you can do surveys or, or monitoring through government NRMs or local. Land cares, friends groups, whatever. There's lots of ways of getting involved in birding, but you know, I guess I, I like promoting just getting out there yourself and connecting with
1: nature because you know, it's just so important for your health. It, you can't. Yeah, that's exactly right. Until you've done it, um, there was just talking about citizen science. People put. Um, the camera traps on their properties for various reasons and i don't know what this guy was actually looking for but he picked up a a behavior which i don't think had ever been seen before and it was a water hen maybe like a dusky moorhen or something like that and they were sleeping Uh, they were all sleeping tail to tail, yes in like a circle all facing
0: outwards yes i know the chap who who did that uh that was up at parwalla Wetland up there, Murray Bridge, and it was Peter Kosh. I'm sure he doesn't mind me using his name. He set up cameras all around the wetland, and uh, it was taken at night. And these um, black-tailed native hens, um, I think it was black-tailed native hens. Um, yeah, it was definitely one of the hens. It was like, one of the. Yeah. I can't. Remember, I think it was them. Anyway, they at night they obviously roost. These guys actually sleep on the ground, which a lot of some birds do, and they were in a full circle with their heads pointing out. So a full circle. And that's never been seen before. No one knew that they slept communally like that. I mean, a lot of birds do. A lot of birds would go be on a branch and be all together. That's for body yeah. warmth. They keep themselves warm. And for protection. You think you've got 10 birds on a branch, and if one gets taken by a booboo cow, well, then you've got a one out of 10 chance of being killed, you know? So it's you know, lessens the odds, doesn't it? So <laughs> uh, so these birds are all in a circle, and apparently go by, by the sequence of photographs. It was that there was like sentries. Three or four of them would stay awake for a while, and guard the circle of birds and then they would go to sleep and other birds would take over. So a bit like meerkats, you know. Nature's just absolutely incredibly fascinating. It blows me away when uh, when you see stuff like that. You know, that's real intelligent behaviour. It's altruistic. They're all working together. Uh, But talking about these cameras, these um, uh, remote cameras, they've changed a lot of uh, behaviour. Because you're seeing animals behaving perfectly naturally, whereas if you're out in the field as a researcher and you're sitting there with your clipboard and you're watching a bird, well, that bird knows you're watching them, so their behaviour's going to be modified because you're watching them. So you're not really watching true behaviour. You know, it's a bit maybe a bit like um, who was the, uh, the the ape lady? Um, Goodall. Goodall, Jane Goodall. She was observing chimps. Sure, she'll appreciate that. Yeah, the ape, the ape lady. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Sorry, Jane. Uh, I'd say we'll take that out, but we're not going to. No, 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 no don't, don't let her know that. Sorry, 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 Jane. She did great work. But, you know, she was an amateur as well, getting back to amateurs. But, yep. um, but, you know, she was observing chimps and I mean, their, their behaviour initially would have been quite false because they would have known she was there. But after over time, they would have got used to her and she would have sat quietly and then she would be seeing true behaviour later on. But it's the same with, you know, if you're watching a bird, they know you're watching, but the remote cameras are picking up behaviour that's never been seen before and also uh, its natural behaviour. So, you know, technology has its purpose and, you know, embrace it where you can, but don't let
1: it take over your life. You know, still get out there and sit and be with nature. Yeah, Keep coming right. back to that. That's no, <laughs> exactly, exactly right. right. And, yep. and I don't think we're not at all saying um, disregard technology because I, I can oh, see a future where we are connected with nature and we restore our, and protect our natural areas and we can still have things like the internet and advancements in technology. Um, just want to talk quickly about people at home in their backyards yep. I mean, there's a lot of nature in our gardens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's.
0: Tons it's of nature. If, if you've got a garden, a lot yeah. of the suburban houses now are losing all their gardens and their trees and their backyards, and people don't have that anymore. They have to go down to a local park or whatever. But if you've got a garden, a reasonable garden with shrubs and trees and bushes and birds in there, I know where you're leading to.
1: Yeah, where where, where <laughs> am I going, John?
0: Where are you going? Are you about bird baths and feeding birds? Yeah, yeah.
1: that's another controversial
0: one. Yeah. yeah. Look. I think it's really important if you've got a garden with birds uh, to have uh, bird baths. I have no problem with bird baths whatsoever, I think, because birds will find water in your gutters, out in the street, anywhere. But if you can, particularly on hot days, provide water uh, in bird baths, uh, it's a good thing. It's good watching their behaviour because some birds drink, some birds bathe. and by providing water uh, clean water uh, it's it's a good thing um, i've got about five bird baths around my property uh, some on the ground in bushes some higher up make sure they're not out in the middle of the lawn well you see bird baths out in the middle of a green lawn and you think well the birds are going to be so scared to go there because they're so vulnerable to being swept by ravens or currawongs or magpies particularly the little birds because they're vulnerable when they've got the head down bum up drinking or bathing they're very vulnerable and there's a real pecking order too when you watch birds bird baths Uh, but have it near bushes where the little birds can retreat or they can hang around on the branches waiting for their turn and then if they fear something's happening they quickly disappear into the bushes and keep them high enough where cats can't get to them either because cats can be you know huge predators to birds. Uh, Feeding, um, that's a very controversial area. Uh, In Australia there's a nectar flow all year round We don't really shut down with snow, and parts of Australia does, but most of Australia doesn't. And as you know, there's eucalypts and wattles that flower on and off throughout the whole year and other plants. So birds get seed, food, a seed and nectar flow all year round. Maybe not so much insects during winter, but certainly there's something all year round. So you don't really need to feed birds. They can look after themselves. If people really want to feed birds, because they can connect to birds by feeding, is don't put food out every day. Because it just becomes a habit, and then they, those birds turn into bullies. And if you go on holidays, they'll wreck your house. You know, I've seen <laughs> seen story, I heard stories, and, and seen the evidence of somebody was putting out sunflower seeds, which is not good for birds anyway, because it's too too much fat in them. Um, they're feeding their cockies every day, you know sulphur crested cockatoos and krellers every day, and, and they went on a holiday, came back, and all their window frames were all ripped out and chewed up. You're kidding? No, nah, it's true, because uh, the birds going, well, where's our food? Where's our food? You put it out every day, and you have gone on, on a holiday for a month, and you've re- neglected it. So they
1: they're going to are wreck- dinosaurs. We, yeah. we
2: get like because we feed ours probably once a week, maybe we put some food yeah. out. We always have our bird baths, which it is amazing watching oh. sitting there and just watching birds bath. It's the best thing. And things yeah, going on. watching the dynamics. It's yeah. just. Awesome, but every now and then you get a load of birds out there that are just screaming their heads off. Yeah, they're probably miners. It's just like they are
0: they It's almost like they're shouting at us. Food.
1: Yeah.
2: Where's the food? Yeah. It's, it's like they've got Absolutely. into that routine. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. But. If if. Uh feeding is yeah i'd say once a week sounds good that's if you're going to do it do it once a week then that way it's a a treat it's like coming down grabbing a few mars bars and nicking off you know it's a bit of a treat and it doesn't become here use mars bars do you yeah no we don't (laughs) how they yeah they unwrap them and everything yeah um getting stuck in the beak yeah that's right no i just (laughs) think of the caramel yeah anyway I, i i digress um yeah once a week's fine yeah. You know, a little bit and don't put too much out because yeah. there's hygiene reasons and all sorts of things because you'll get rats in there at night sometimes or crawl all over it and you got to you know you don't want to pass on diseases that's another thing you've got to keep everything clean if you're going to feed because mm. birds can pick up viruses and diseases from other birds because they walk all over it they crap over it you know they, you know uh, so yeah, a little bit of food maybe once a week if you really have to and that's fine uh, don't definitely use sunflower seeds because it's just too fatty and the birds build up big fat chunks in their bodies, mm. particularly parrots and it's not good for them. Um, some people feed magpies little bits of meat mince. You know, it's it's okay once in a while. Don't do it every day because yep. the birds become habituated to it and become bullies because they're not getting what they want.
1: And there's also different type, I mean some birds obviously are nectar feeders. Yeah. There are good nectar mixes and there are some that people make of just a sugar based oh, honey. Don't do that. That. don't do yeah, that. You,
0: know, you can get nectarite. I think it's there's professional products which uh, you can buy from pet shops that, if you're going to provide nectar, say, for rainbow lorikeets or muscle lorikeets or those sort of birds, you know, the last thing you do is make up sugar water.
1: They just go crazy. They'll be like kids on cordial. So, uh, so it sounds to me uh, the best way to feed birds is just to plant native plants. Plant, yeah,
0: plant their natural food. Let them just feed naturally. I don't feed birds uh, and they're out there busily feeding all the time on berries and seeds and nectar and, and lerps and insects and um, skinks sometimes. Um, and let them just feed naturally. You know, uh, And Definitely put bird baths out, and you can see lots of dynamics there, which is fantastic to watch.
1: You just said skinks. I, I just found a way to sex up bird watching for the people that are into fast cars. Raptors, <laughs> carnivores, yeah. oh, yes. birds that jack stuff yes. with their face and with yeah. their feet. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, there's, I've got a friend of mine. <laughs> uh, wow. <okay>. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I've got a friend Whoa. of mine, he's right into raptors, right? I mean, bird raptors. And uh, he says there's two types of birds there's raptors. And there's food for raptors, <laughs> uh, and they you know, look, eagles and hawks and falcons are magnificent birds. And you really, when you look into an eagle's face, you're seeing a dinosaur. You know, you're really seeing a top end predator. I saw one actually coming to your place today, flying not oh, far you? away. A yeah, big, a big western, a wedge tail eagle, beautiful. But look, yeah, yes, birds are preyed upon by birds. You know, uh, you <laughs> get a mob of ravens, um, and they will attack. You know, a pigeon or some other bird, magpies will attack, cookbars uh, will eat tiny little nestlings sometimes. You know, it's a tough world out there. They're but brutal.
1: Simplicide, yes, yes. Pelicans. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. They push the weak ones out. You've yeah. got cuckoos who lay an egg into a nest of another bird and they nick off, don't do any rearing. It's actually not a bad That's idea. That seems yeah, pretty isn't it? good, base. Yeah, and they are, it's only cuckoo species who do that. And they still don't know why they do I mean, obviously, it's to save energy, they don't have to rear the kids. And uh, and then the the host, a bird thinks it, thinks it's because it's hatched in there. They think they've just got this really ugly big kid, and it's massive sometimes, oh, isn't shoot. it? <laughs> they're having and, to
1: gather food for yeah, something that's twenty times the size the of themselves.
0: Out, yeah, and, and they feed the the cuckoo bird, and their own little bird either gets kicked out by the cuckoo or starves because they're so busy feeding the cuckoo. And the cuckoos all over the world do it. Australia's got its own cuckoos. But cuckoos all over the world have the same behaviour. It's just totally bizarre why this bird has evolved with this behaviour. It's mind blowing. Nature's fantastic, it's isn't it? Yes, yeah, it unbelievable. is. Unbelievable, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all these different behaviours. It's incredible. incredible. Cuckoos are jerks, man.
1: Oh, they just do what they do. I don't know, you know I quite like, like they, them they, they do what yeah, they do. They just do. do what
0: they do, and they're beautiful-looking they they birds, do. and they have lovely calls, but they just do what they do, you know?
1: They do what they do. We watched the docket the other night. We we, we caught up, um, Steve and his partner, Tam and I, and we... It a depressing night. It was depressing. <laughs> <laughs> we had the, there was an island somewhere between Africa and America that had only ever had two people set foot on this island, so the BBC team went there. Um, and with one of the original people that had been to this island. So a crew of them went there. They camped out on this island. It was covered in some species of the penguin. might have been a couple of species of the penguin. Two, two yeah, two species. And these penguins had to like, launch off the rocks into mm. these crashing waves to get food for their kids. Yeah. And, and when they're coming back, there were penguins with broken limbs and blood on them. Not all of them, but yeah. they showed this. And we were just thinking, oh, this is it's lovely. Isn't nature lovely? Yeah. Um, and... And, and someone asked the question, like, why, why do they do this, you know? And I thought, well, I guess if we, like, we go, we drive to work mm-hmm. to earn money for our families. Mm-hmm. And every day people are injured horribly and yeah. killed in car accidents. And yeah. so if we saw that close up on that's a BBC right. doco, we would be like, why do
0: we do this? That's exactly. Yeah. Well, those penguins, that's all they know. That's, yeah. that's, they're on that island. That's their world. That's all they know. To get food to feed their kids, they've got to jump off the cliff. And that's the, that's the price to pay. You know, nature is beautiful, it is, and it's been romanticized and poets and, you know, artists and you know, songwriters have, you know, romanticized nature forever, and we probably will. And there is beautiful parts of nature. Nature is beautiful, but it's also mean. It can be yeah. mean and nasty, and and, uh, and you've got to take that with it. That's just part of nature, you know. We, we come from nature, we go back to nature, and we're all part of the food chain, you know humans often think we're not you know we're the superior being i don't know where we they think we've come from but you know we we're not vulnerable to that but if you go in the ocean surfing well you're vulnerable to shark attack yeah if you get in your car
2: and drive down the road you're vulnerable to
0: yeah that's right all sorts yeah or you go in the savannah you know a lion might take you you know that's 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 life but uh, nature's like that you know it's it's the survival of the fittest which was part of the whole evolutionary process but it can that can be hijacked by economists and other people and turn into something rather evil from a human perspective but it is nature can be pretty tough but you know you've got to see the beauty in nature too you know there's it's a yin yang yeah. you know
1: now you obviously travel around a fair bit and bird is a big part of yep. yeah well it's travel. a good reason to travel yeah I think you were saying uh, before Steve about um rare birds like what what's the what
2: well, yeah w- w- yeah in Australia what's the rarest bird in Australia
0: Well it used to be the night parrot yeah, the
1: it
2: night was parrot. recently
0: yeah it's been recently rediscovered it was been quite controversial over the last 30 years because they found you know bits of evidence here and there a dead bird here and there, you know bits and pieces but they always thought they were basically extinct from the 70s and then suddenly uh, a chap called John Young found a live bird up at Queensland on a remote property out in the south-west corner, I think. And since they've recorded the calls and they've got some footage and they've found one or two birds, they've found more birds, they've found some young ones, uh, and then there about four birders or ornithologists found another couple of birds in Western Australia. Uh, so they're now not so rare. Wow. <laughs> I mean, they're not, they're not common, uh, but... Because we didn't know that much about them, we didn't really understand the habitat, didn't understand, didn't know the call, because they don't sound like a parrot. Um, they're actually now being found a little bit more readily, and just, yeah. in South Australia, there's some feathers were found in a in a nest, uh, so there's you know no doubt some birds in South Australia as well. So I think we'll find in time that the night parrots not as rare as it used to be, and it's just the understandings there. The now. understanding, yeah. you know. That's where science is really helpful. Probably the rarest parrot at the moment is probably the orange-bellied parrot, because there's only about 30 or 40 of those left in the wild. In captivity, there's heaps. So some of these parrots can be bred quite easily in captivity, but uh, unfortunately, in the wild, they've become very rare, mainly due to habitat loss. Uh, they tend to they breed at Melaleuca in Tasmania in the forest there, and they don't have too many problems breeding. But when they come to feed. They come over to from Tassie to the mainland, and they go sort of from Victoria right through South Australia. They used to go right up to Port Pirie, virtually, along the coast, the samphire. That's what they feed on, the berries. But, because where does every human want to live? Along mm. the coast. Yeah. So a lot of that habitat's been destroyed over the years, and so those birds, which are a bit fussy in their eating, uh, are now uh, on the verge of extinction.
1: So if you live near the coast, put back in local native plants, like you, if you live in an area that had samphire, yeah, have it. Yeah, or, or just
0: don't live there in the first place don't, on there. <laughs> don't <laughs> live on
1: the dunes we need no, dunes yeah
0: leave the dunes there leave you know, the we, dunes move back you know, 200 metres 300 metres from the they're beach not ideal to build on anyway no because they move <laughs> just too much <laughs> and then, the, with the ocean rises then the people complain because the houses are yeah. collapsing into the ocean it's a bit stupid humans yeah. are dumb at
1: times they can be, they can be really <laughs> dumb bird brains bird,
0: bird no, brain. no no
1: no, Whoa. Whoa. no you no, can't say re- that, Adrian. Recent, no, that recent research, no recent research no
0: recent research has shown that birds are highly intelligent creatures uh, you look at say ravens and and uh, birds of prey and lots of birds are actually highly intelligent cre- creatures so bird brains actually a positive thing to say
1: there we go did you see that study where they had i think it was a raven or a crow and it was picking out rubbish Yes.
0: Well, they've been, well, I read an article in, in Italy. They've trained ravens to pick up cigarette, cigarette butts, put them into a container, and they get a food reward. Huh. So they're collecting... Of the rest of the cigarette, or...? No, just, just the, the butt. cigarette butt. <laughs> I kind of wonder if they ever ran out of cigarette butts, what the ravens are going to do. But, but it's a way of cleaning up the city is that they pick, wow. they pick up the, ra- the butt, drop it into this container, and it drops this little food treat for the raven, so it's an incentive for them to go out and find more cigarette butts.
1: I love bird labour.
2: Yeah. I just, I, I, there was something up there the as well. Union, you know? The raven and, and another bird, well, she didn't catch what that bird was, but they were actually using a tool to poke yeah. into a box to to create a movement so that its food dropped out yeah. the bottom. And they they'd learnt to do that using a twig to. Yeah,
0: well, ravens That's and crows. ravens and crows are the same thing. They're all part of the corvid mm. family. Some are, you know, there's this sort of technical reasons why one's called a crow, one's called a raven, but they kind of look the same. Yeah. Um, but the the corvid family, I say, is probably the most intelligent birds on the planet, and they can use logic. They can use uh, use tools, which is a very much a primate thing. Yeah. Uh, modified tools, so bits of wire to get to treats. So they—they they, very intelligent creatures, really intelligent.
1: The um, palm cockatoo. Yeah, it's not quite a tool, but he plays. He gets he, a drumstick. He well, you're calling the bird a tool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, uh, no. Yes, they do. They drum. Uh, they they pick up a stick and they drum a hollow log. I'm not sure what for whether it's just uh, for the sound or for trying to see whether there's termites or some sort of I'm not sure I know, don't know I reasons. don't know. I I thought I can't it was remember. to
1: attract ladies but I think it might be a, probably a, where a, my mind a courting
0: goes. courting ritual. Uh, it's like bowerbirds that build those beautiful bowers and it's not a nest they collect colored that collects stuff. Yeah, it's it, just bizarre, just amazing, amazing. Uh, and they build these elaborate structures with their bill yeah. and uh, and then they you know bring in green bottle tops or whatever and yeah. it's just to attract their lady and she goes yeah that's pretty cool then they go off do their thing and they've got a little simple nest so mm. it's, it's amazing um
1: yeah for all we know some of these behaviors could have been things dinosaurs were doing 65 plus could million years ago yeah
0: i don't think they would have been collecting green bottle tops but,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> cigarette, butts. cigarette, butts, cigarette yeah. butts that's why they went extinct yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a it was on a
0: david attenborough program, I think it was Life of Birds, there was some uh, ravens in um, Tokyo that used to collect walnuts and they learnt uh, at a pedestrian crossing that if they dropped the walnuts on the pedestrian crossing and then stood on the side of their own and waited for the pedestrian crossing to go beep 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 and then the people walk no, uh, after the people walked across they dropped the, the walnut on there and then when the trucks and cars went over it broke all the walnuts up oh. and they wait for the beep <laughs> beep beep, beep walk out with the pedestrians and collect all their broken walnuts and off they go
1: Ugh. and oh, I've heard, I'm not
0: sure this is true, but I've heard that the second part of that, that the birds have learnt now, if there's people not there waiting to go across, they get up onto the the, the button and have learnt to hit the button to do it themselves so they don't have to wait for pedestrians now so that's a learning behavior and adapting and a lot of birds and animals do that it's that's just crazy. mind-blowing they sometimes choose. i
1: think birds forget they can fly like you're, you're driving up towards them and you beep 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 and they, like with their little legs they're running off the yeah, road yeah like...
0: magpies are notorious for that you'll see them run across the road they, they remind me of nuns lifting up their habit or, or dudes <laughs> with their hands in their
1: pockets running just across
0: the road The reason they do that, yeah, is because it takes a lot of energy to fly. If you want to fly just 20 metres or 10 metres or 5 metres, it's an enormous amount of energy to lift off the ground for that 5 metres. Heaps of energy. It's all about saving energy because you have to eat and eat and eat to replace that energy. And so they have very simple philosophy is if I can save energy, then I don't have to eat so much. So it's easier just to run across that 5 metres. But sometimes they get hit by cars, sometimes it's, it's, they just do it and you think, you know, why don't you fly? You know, humans always want to fly, uh, but birds kind of only fly really to escape a predator, to move to new habitat, or to save energy because they can't be bothered.
1: Yeah. And a good example of that is the wedge-tailed eagle, very cumbersome off the ground and yes. sadly you see them hit by cars. Very slow to take off. Yeah, yeah,
0: I've kind of got into the habit, I carry a spade in the back of my car and and if I'm out in the bush and I come across a, a a dead kangaroo that's been hit or something or an emu or whatever it might be on the road, providing it's not too ganky, I'll, I'll get the spade underneath it and drag it off the road and put it four or five metres off the side of the road so wedge-tailed eagles and and uh, falcons and other birds of prey can come and feed on it yeah. uh, and without the fear of a truck coming along. Because by the time a wedge eagle gets the energy to get off the ground, a truck's bang. Yeah. You know, just is, it, is it
2: because they gorge so
0: much, or just because they're, they're just slow so to take in, off? They're just general. so big yeah. that it takes them a few seconds to get airborne, which mm. is with the truck coming down about 110 kilometres yeah. per hour, or even probably faster up yeah. in the Northern Territory. Uh, they just got, don't have time. By the time they get a metre off the ground, they're getting hit by the grill of the big trucks and they just get slaughtered. So, you know, it's a good thing to drag a dead animal off the road and, because there's other things like goannas will feed on them, uh, ravens, yeah. um, you know, at night there'll be, you know, night birds of prey. So it's just a good thing. And it's also respectful for the animal that's being hit by a car, you know, get it off the road so it can, you know... Yeah, I agree, yeah. ...deteriorate naturally without being squashed into the bitumen, you know. So it's mm. not a very dignified ending. Mm.
1: Yeah, we mentioned... Um, birds attracting mates like maybe the palm cockatoo using his stick mm. and things that's one of the reasons why some of these not all birds but some birds the males are so brightly colored yep that's to attract ladies
0: yeah 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 you find in a lot of the passerines which is the, the uh sort of the woodland type birds the songbirds is the passerines the birds like geese swans and ducks are called non-passerines and waders and stuff because generally their colors of both the male and females is pretty well the same but in the in the passerine birds or woodland songbirds often the males are prettier what you call that word "colorful" more colorful than the than the females they might have elaborate plumage and that's all just to attract a female so the females look at the the male that's the most colorful or the longest tail or the biggest plume or something and uh, and that's to that's to attract the female so the female go oh. It had, his genes are really good i'll breed with him because i'll have strong healthy babies and that can go to the extremes because sometimes a bird might have a tail that's long and it'll get longer and longer and longer and to the point where actually it inhibits the bird i can't (laughs) then they go back to the short tail once again yeah so uh it's colors like that then other birds that may not be so colorful uh will do build a bower or have an elaborate dance like uh birds of paradise even though they're quite beautiful to look at they do this elaborate dance and they will do that to try and attract and it might be 10 females watching them and they'll do this funky dance to try and uh, attract that's called lecking uh, frogs do that as well all the all the male frogs you probably know this Adrian. all the male frogs are the only ones that croak so they're in the pond croak 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 croak, croak and all the females in the background going oh i like that one Ooh, that one's got a good voice. No, I don't like that one. So they're just selecting. So it's males competing for attention. Now, you'll see that at a nightclub or the blokes strutting around a nightclub. So, say, yeah, humans Tr- do the same. We do the yeah, same yeah. behaviours. Peacocking. Peacocking. We do the same behaviours. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so in, in the birds that have, uh, where the male and female uh, are different looking, that's where the males were either by song, by plumage, or by dance, or building a bower they'll do something which attracts the female whereas birds that um that often have the same plumage there's is they'll just kind of meet up hang out together and they mutually rear their young whereas often in some of the non passerine some of the passerine birds the male just does his thing and the female rears the young on their own it's quite complex it's, there's there's exceptions to everything
1: yeah i've noticed that generally they like um with the tawny frog mouse, they both look so similar. They look You've exactly the same. got really. to send a feather off for genetic testing to Pretty sex well. them. And yeah. the males do even more activity with the babies and rearing, yep. um, nesting, yep. incubation than the female. The, the, the blue wren is a classic. We've got yep. lots of different types of wrens in Australia. Yep. such a bright animal. They're amazing. Showing off to girls. But he's, he's blue. Like He doesn't camouflage with no, anything. anything. He stands out like yeah. dog's balls. Yeah, I've never... Yeah. taking taken a chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I just, just thinking an analogy. of that analogy. Yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, sorry. Probably kangaroo's
0: balls would have been probably more appropriate they really stand out. <laughs> yeah, but, right on. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Um, I'm sidetracked now. Side-track now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, actually, surprisingly, these coloured birds, when they're against the plain background, yeah, they do stand out, but when they get into the bush, surprisingly, those colours do blend in in many ways. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the little wren's an interesting one because they're not monogamous at all. Not the very few birds are monogamous. Some of the big uh, non-passerine birds, like uh, ducks and swans and geese, and, and things like pelicans can be can be monogamous to some degree. But in the uh, non-passerines, the woodland birds, it's very rare that the birds are monogamous. But the little blue wren, for example. Um, they go in and out of their breeding plumage. So they go really bright blue when they're, when they're ready to go. And um, they strut around and they'll have a whole entourage of, little, of the girls, which are usually a brown coloured, chasing them around. And he thinks he's breeding with all those girls, but those girls are also going around and looking for the other males in the area. They have only small uh, territories and they're breeding with every other male they can find. So when they have four or five chicks in the nest, there could be all different fathers. So You
1: were gonna call it a harem, weren't you? Do you but, remember you coined that phrase years ago? That was the collective noun potentially for a, uh, a, harem, a harem of uh, wrens. Yeah,
0: I think David I think David Attenborough called them the, the hippie birds, I think, you know, it's sort of a bit like a big commune, everybody's into everybody. Um, but yeah, they're fascinating birds and then when the blue wren doesn't finish it's finished sort of its, its breeding season, it will generally its plumage will go back to a, a very dull blue. If they're older birds, or they'll go back to brown, if they're very young birds, uh, they change at about two years, the, the males will stay blue. But if up to two years, the males will go in and out, it's called eclipse plumage, they'll come and go from their colours for a while. Yeah. Fascinating stuff.
1: And it can be useful too, if the the girl is on the eggs, he can come out and with his brightly coloured plumage, mm. lure potential predators away from... The nest, yeah. A lot of actually, a lot
0: of birds do something similar to that, though. You will sometimes see a bird if you're getting close to its nest, uh, you'll see a either the male or the female, uh, will often wander off with its wing hanging on the ground like it's injured, and that's a detraction from a predator to think, well, go for that bird because it's easy to catch. So, if it's a fox or a dingo or a, a raven or whatever they'll, they'll chase after the bird that looks like it's got a crook wing because it's easy prey and what that bird's doing is diverting the attention away from the nest and the, and the mother on the nest or whatever and once it's far enough away from the nest and the predator's chasing over them they'll, they'll suddenly take off and fly off and that's very common with wow. birds you will see if you ever see a bird when you get too close to the nest you see a bird go oh the poor bird's injured it's got its wing hanging on the ground don't be fooled by that it's just possum you know, it's just... Wow. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's getting you away from their nest. Never heard that. That's, a, that's Another
2: amazing thing about uh, birds. Wow. Now,
0: what species might do that? Uh, pigeons. Uh, the, uh, bronze-winged pigeons. You'd have them here in your game. Yeah, I love, I love bronze-winged them. Bronze-winged pigeons. Uh, most pigeons, uh, quite a lot of birds do it. Yeah. Uh, it's quite common, particularly for ground-nesting birds, because they're obviously very vulnerable on the ground. Um, not so much for nesting or hollow birds. You know, bur- hollow birds. Birds that breed in hollows yeah there's lots of fascinating things about birds
2: that's fantastic that's <laughs> insane
1: birds that insane. Thought.
0: yeah birds are cool of
1: thought, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well john man yeah. thank you so much for coming on
0: yeah my pleasure giving us your time that's,
1: yeah it's been amazing yeah thank you we've all really
0: cool. learned something good checks in the mail
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: absolutely the mail is bad nowadays that's
2: right
1: (laughs) that was fun mate really loved it and I think Steve did ask it before but if people want to get in contact with you and um, get involved in some of the guided walks that you host yeah Yeah, especially the courses and things that you
0: do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sometimes they run through the local NRMs, so just keep your eye out around sort of South Australia. The NRMs, um, natural resource management places, will sometimes advertise them. Um, I also run courses through the WEA, Workers' Education Association in Adelaide, through Bird's SA once a year for six weeks. Um, Most of the bird courses run around... Adelaide, I, I do. Uh, I seem to have captured that market a bit. Uh, but you can all, uh, also get on my website, which is to Connections. Um, um, it's a bit hard if you put it just in Google. It doesn't really come up with that. But, uh, or uh, you can... We'll put a link up. Yeah, put a link up. Oh, we'll, That's probably we'll so. I don't want to give my well, yeah. uh, mobile phone number over. Yeah, because just get <laughs> pestered. But it's 04 Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can give the details to to these guys, and you can contact me through their Email address and stuff That's like awesome.
1: that. Awesome. Guys, thanks for listening. And John, thanks again, mate. Yeah, and no, my pleasure. We'll have to have you on again and do it Absolutely,
0: again. Absolutely, no. I Love it. Thanks. Yeah. Awesome. No, awesome. Thanks, thanks guys.
2: guys. Thank you.